If you have a Bible with you today, uh, feel free to look at Mark chapter 6. We're going to be taking a peek at that in just a minute. But before we get there, I just want to introduce this new message series that we're doing entitled The Ripple Effect. And maybe you've heard that fa- that phrase uh, uh, applied in, in, in different uh, ways uh, in the last few years. Uh, and maybe you haven't, I don't know. But uh, a good example of it would be uh, on the dark side of things, how when some uh, young person, for whatever reason, uh, gets in their mind that the world is completely and totally against them and they arm themselves with with guns and ammunition and they go into a school and they they shoot everything up and the biggest question that people have after they ask what happened is is it going to happen again is it going to ripple into other situations where discontent is also being bred in the minds of people that are are struggling and beyond that sometimes people apply it on a more personal level where person is looking at their own life and their prospects and things that have gone wrong and things that will continue to go wrong and they get in their mind this sense of despair and they feel like you know it would be good if I just ended it all but they don't until they discover that in the news there was a story about a person who took their own life and some other people who took their lives and then social media it continues to cascade into a a, a rippling uh, effect into the lives of people who are sort of on the fence and then you see this pattern where not just one person took their lives but it the report is there's just a rash of people and sometimes it is in a particular school that has this happen and it's weird isn't it how things influence one another in ways that we don't always see the thing that I want to keep in mind though is as you're looking at the screen what do you see you see water and you see water with droplets going into it and the droplets are creating something called the ripple who do you think was the inventor of the ripple it's kind of a dumb but easy God? <laughs> yeah, you know, like a little kid, if you ask a little kid something, uh, please tell me, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, is the answer to this, this Bible thing? And they'll say, Jesus. And so it's like the, 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 the universal catch-all. Well, but it is true. Uh, God is the author of the ripple effect. And it is something that I think we tend to ignore as far as what it can mean in what we do. Now, probably you are here in some, in some way because the rippling effect of another person or another set of circumstances that drew you closer to God. And that really, for the next couple of weeks, is what I want us to take a look at. How we can not only be aware that this is a thing, but how we can be a part of that in those places that God has stationed you and I uniquely And how it is in those places we can have some kind of kingdom impact. I truly think that that can happen. But I sometimes wonder if we're aware enough to realize that. And that's where I want to go with this message series. So before I even get into it any farther, I just want to to take this process and bring it before the Lord. Would you bow with me? 
Father, as we think about how you invented the ripple and how you invented the kingdom and how in so many ways your son has defined what it means to have life in you and life that is not filled with despair or darkness or a sense of, um, of futility, but rather a life that just expands into life more abundantly. And Lord, we are the recipients of that through so many causes and so many people that have gone before us that we can't even imagine how those ripplings have changed us in ways that uh, we never anticipated. And we couldn't even imagine what we would be like if they hadn't occurred as well. Father, I just pray for everyone in the room as we attend to, for just a little bit, the question, how is it, Father, that we can have an ear for the things that you want to do through our lives. I pray you give us an openness to hearing that voice and then to seeing what's in front of us with fresh eyes. So may your kingdom ripple through our lives as we think about your purpose for each of us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I anticipated uh, this message series, I wasn't really thinking too much about one particular character that has emerged in my whole processing of this that God's put in front of me that is having a rippling effect on our culture, even though this guy's been gone for quite a while. This is a guy that would like to sing songs to kids. It was a guy that actually, whenever I was a kid, I tended to ignore because I really didn't see all the layers of what he was trying to accomplish until I became a pastor myself. This is a guy that wore a red sweater and he would say in sort of a sing-songy voice, it's a beautiful day in the... Yeah, you guys heard it. You guys sung it so well, too. I do it over, but I can't sing any better. So let's just move on. As he was singing these songs, the thing that a lot of us thought whenever we heard them was if, even if we didn't like it, we knew that this guy cared. He cared about kids, and he had something that was sort of unique as how he and how he presented it because it was on PBS of all things and when you're a kid growing up and you got ABC, uh, CBS and NBC and then of course there's oh yeah PBS and then when you tune in you're like oh that's boring but for whatever reason there was a guy who grew up not too far from Salem, Ohio just on the other side of Pittsburgh and in his formative years, God was working on him in a way that I think developed into a calling that obviously is making an impact. And even though he passed away in 2003, for whatever reason, the spotlight is shining brightly on his legacy. Now, here's the reason why I think it is. I think that you and I live in a moment where that sort of civility and gentleness and caring, and a willingness to look at little kids and all kinds of people from zero to 100 and wherever else it goes as just children in the eyes of God and expressing that in a way that makes you realize that, yeah, that is a thing. He had managed to communicate to so many people who had no source in their lives for hearing those words, you're special, you're loved, and um, 
God has made you in a unique way other than through some funny looking guy on TV with some puppets and a few other things that were a little different but yet for a kid who was raised in an environment where they were never told that they were important or valuable they tuned in and in our culture I think we live in that moment where people are hating on each other like I've never seen before people are more polarized than ever before people are looking at opportunities to get even to get back to flame to troll to do things that will dehumanize one another and it just is so toxic that it's spilling out and I think there's sort of a sense in the air that surely there's a message somewhere that can speak out against that and I honestly think that's why so many people go and see movies like the one that has just been created showcasing the life of Fred Rogers of all things because it's saying something at a particular time that people are dying to hear now I'm just going to expand a little bit into his life before I go into the message been reading a book it's a biography on his life and I as a kid had no interest in Mr. Rogers neighborhood I just got to admit it but I did as a pastor do a little bit of a sidebar study one time and I realized something about this guy that there was a lot more to what he was trying to accomplish as a believer in Christ than I than, than I was I was aware of I was blown away and when you read his story it's kind of interesting because he grew up in Latrobe Pennsylvania and the unique thing about him was he was an only child and his parents were some of the wealthiest people in the community his uh, family they were in industrialists they owned factories and they were they were pillars of the community and here's this kid growing up under these circumstances with all of the resources that one could ever imagine and parents who were at the at the top of the of, of, of the social elite and yet there was something that defined them that in turn defined him and that was the thing that he saw them do all the time a mother who was completely wealthy beyond you know words that, that that you could ever struggle for for somebody who who would lack and she didn't yet she would spend every month knitting a sweater 12 of them to, in the course of a year so that she would have them to give away to people that needed them for Christmas and then there was a whole lot of other initiatives that she was part of in that community. When people lacked, they would get an anonymous gift from their family. When her father and her husband were in roles of managing big factories, they would spend a lot of time walking around on the floor and asking the question of all the workers, how's it going? And what do you need? And interestingly enough, there'd be stories about how those workers were struggling and somehow something would show up and it would be anonymous but everybody knew it was just the way the heart of this family beat and the cool thing about it was it was centered in their faith they were extremely faithful Presbyterian people who would wake up every morning and they'd read the scripture and they would pray and they'd begin their day and when Fred Rogers was growing up that's exactly what he did he would faithfully read the scripture and he would pray and then he would talk to God and he would ask God to kind of lead him through the day and then something happened there was a defining moment 
And many of us have those defining moments where an event occurs that changes us. Sometimes it's traumatic and we just never forget it. And some, sometimes we just wish that memory would go away because it's so painful. Other times it happens and we're like, that kind of woke me up. And for him, whenever he was a kid, he would be chauffeured back and forth to school. And one day he wasn't and he got out of school early and he was walking home. And being a, a kid in a wealthy family that had problems with allergies and basically was an only child, his sense was um, a little bit of disconnect from the people around him. Oddly enough, he was overweight and when he was walking home one day, a, a group of bullies started chasing after him, making fun of him for being fat and just, just really just hounding him and they were getting ready to beat up on him and he started running and he ran into a neighbor's house and the neighbor opened the door when he knocked on it and he went in and the bullies went away. But what it did was it made him aware of how people treat each other and it kind of captured his imagination in such a way that he really began to tune in to how the world looked from the eyes of little people. And that just stuck with him. And whenever he came of age, he was trying to figure out what to do in terms of his career and his calling. And yet he was also asking the question, what does God have to do with how I live my life out? And he was pretty serious about it. And the thought occurred to him as, uh, in the 50s as television is starting to become uh, a significant feature in everybody's home. It occurred to him that the stuff that kids were watching on television at that time were for the most part dehumanizing, downgrading, and in a lot of ways just reinforcing the stuff that he saw happen to kids in his own world. And he got this vision for using that medium of influence to ripple out into the lives of kids who weren't getting the right message signaled to them. And while he was just preparing for that, he spent 10 years at, at noon every day when he lived in Pittsburgh going to seminary and just taking classes. In the, and in the course of 10 years, he finally got his master's degree and he was commissioned by the Presbyterian Church as a pastor ordained. Only they said because of what God has put on your heart, he was going to be a missionary to kids. He was going to use the medium of television as a means to influence kids in ways that weren't happening. And of course, you and I look back in hindsight and we think, well, that, that wasn't so spectacular, but put yourself in a moment where there are no cell phones, there's no internet, there's no color television, there's basically a radio and there's a TV if you're lucky. And it seemed to be such an influential device that he was fearful that it was going to change how people treated each other and then he started to see it. And it so consumed him that he felt like this is what God is calling me to do. To create a kids program where under these conditions I can't just overtly say the things about the Lord but I can talk about all the virtues that have to do with what it means to be a follower of Jesus that it won't be too hard for them to connect the dots. 
And so every day he would wake up and he would pray and he would read a scripture and then he would go into that, 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 that space where his creativity and his musical abilities and the vision that he had to see young lives touched in a way that they weren't hearing and getting at home. And the interesting thing was, this was in the 50s. Now, when did Mr. Rogers' neighborhood stop being a thing? Anybody know? Any fans? Any closet fans? Anybody who's, you know, saying, yeah, that was me. Um, And that's okay. Because I think that what he tuned into is the very thing that we need to tune into. The pain that people carry around with them day in and day out, oftentimes going unrecognized or unacknowledged or suppressed, but nonetheless influential. Now when we read the scriptures, we find something that parallels his whole way of approaching his life, his whole calling. And it happens to be the life that Jesus portrayed as he lived it out here on earth. It was his way of saying, if somebody were to ever ask, what would God do if he became one of us? How would he behave and respond to people? And I think if you ever had that question and you read the Gospels, you start to get a sense that if God embodied himself in the form of a human being, these are the particular actions you would see him take. And if you have your Bibles, we'll look at uh, Mark chapter 6. And we'll explore it for just a second. And I want to ask a question at the end of this that hopefully will emerge out of this discovery for each of us. But let's go to Mark 6 first. As we do, um, we see Jesus situated around um, uh, his disciples. And they're coming out of um, a whole intense time of ministry on on another part of the Sea of Galilee. And as they do, they just want to get a break. They're exhausted. They want to recover. They want some time, some downtime just to sort of get back into their, into their flow again. So, Scripture tells us the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, it's time for a break. And he said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and we'll rest for a while. And for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Well, as we move into the story a little bit further, it changes dramatically. But if you just want to know how this is transpiring, that's the Sea of Galilee, which is basically the setting for so much of what Jesus did. Not in Jerusalem where you think all the holy people were, but rather where all the farmers and the fishermen lived around, around this sea that was such a source of livelihood for the average person, for what we would call the average worker today. And that's where Jesus went. Because for some reason, he tuned into the fact that they were disconnected from the things of God. And he wanted to make sure that they got a message loud and clear that God cares for them. And so as we continue on in the reading, 
It says, Now many saw them going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. So they must have been running along the shoreline. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And this is Jesus' response. You give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, which means a lot, and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had done their inventory, they said five and two fish. And then he said this. He commanded them to all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they're just well organized, and groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's a lot of questions in this story. But one thing that I think the Bible impresses on us when we read it, that it doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It says the same pattern over and over and over about the things of God. And when God is looking at your life and mine, and he sees us, just as we are. He says, I love you just as you are, but I want you to grow beyond that space because I've redeemed you for something better. And so God's always in the business of changing you and I. And in this case, Jesus is saying, I love these people as the Son of God. They are made in the image of God and they are sheep without a shepherd. They're not getting the stuff from God that God wants them to hear and they're not understanding what God wants them to be. They're totally shut out. And he's frustrated. He's frustrated for a lot of reasons. But it mainly has to do with how the religious establishment are actually bottlenecking the ability for the word of God to get out into the lives of the masses. Most of these people have this sense. I believe in God, but I'm not sure that he cares. And a lot of them grew up in homes and places where that sense of God is kind of disconnected from the day in and day out. And that ambiguity about how much God really does care and love them sort of prevailed because they weren't getting that from the religious leaders and the teachers and the religious political establishment. There were so many forces at work that should have been representative of the things of God. They were basically saying, we're not letting you in. And that's what God saw. And that's what God is frustrated about time and time and time again. And when he called his son into the world to do what he's doing, his intention was to go to the lowliest, the seemingly socially most undeserving, and to demonstrate deep and profound 
love and compassion. I can't help but wonder when Fred Rogers was alive in the 50s and he was running into kids that were disconnected from the things of God in homes that had been disconnected from the things of God for generations in spaces where the only message or signal that the kid got in the course of their upbringing was you're worthless or you're no good or just a sin of omission like we're not going to tell you anything about yourself. But one thing I can assure you that God sees in us is that we are made to live in a relationship with him that is defined by the affections that he has for us. The word father is the choice word that God the creator uses to define how we should approach him. And for some of us, when we take that word, it's loaded with a lot of negative baggage. But when we start to read God's word and we see that the baggage is different, it's actually centered in a heart that is faithful and genuine and desiring of all things for us to thrive under his care. Now that impulse that God has drove Jesus into our situation. I honestly think as Fred Rogers was processing, who am I? Am I a rich kid who's well-resourced and I can carry on as a trust baby? Am I a person that wants to discover my talents and use them for a career? Am I a person who's called to be a minister? And he was asked that question and that's exactly what he said. I'm from this family. I can't deny it. But I've also trained to be a musician and do things in terms of orchestrating music. But at the bottom of it, I feel a responsibility to influence lives who need to hear about the love of God in ways that I'm not sure they're getting. And he saw television as that means of accomplishing it. And if you look at his biography, one of the things that they said was he interviewed a guy who was always talking to the camera and he said, you're talking to a lot of people, but when I hear you talking, you, you, feel, you, you seem like you're talking to me. And he said, you know what? That's because I am. I'm just thinking of that one person when I'm talking. And so as he's on his own uh, venue and he's trying to share the things that little kids need to hear that they're not getting from any other source regarding character, moral formation, how you interact with other human beings in a way that is civil, in a way that is godly. Any teachers in here see these things not really happening anymore? And it's because without Jesus... And our faith being part of the process, they don't happen. And in his case, he's looking at that camera, but he's thinking about everyone, but mostly the one. Each of you, each of us. Now, the, the way this parallels in pattern form, I think is sort of how God looks at us. He sees us all, 
But then he sees you. Each of you. In that very special way. All at once. It's kind of mind-boggling. Because it does break down a little bit. But it's a way of saying that God, interestingly enough, calls people in whatever setting that they're called to live out their lives to be his voice of compassion, his voice of redemption, to take the small opportunities that are in front of us and leverage them for his kingdom purposes. He was just a missionary using the tools in front of him to create conditions that would make it very easy from there to go into a church and say, oh, everything I've been learning is discovered in a place like this. I think that's pretty awesome. Because I honestly believe that Fred Rogers is, 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 is really kind of the center of everybody's focus, at least in this moment, because he's so different than what we find everywhere else. About the cult of celebrity, about the polarization of groups and tribes and politics, about the ways that people love to hate on each other, and all of these things that just make us feel like there's got to be more. And I suppose even though I didn't care that much for the show, there obviously were a lot of kids that that was the only place that they could hear the voice of God. And you got to give that a second look and ask some questions. And when we look at this story, I just want to make a parallel with what Jesus is doing. He looks at the crowd and he basically says, I, I know at first he's like, I'm trying to get away for a break. We're trying to rest. But there's something going on here. And I got to step up. We got to step up. And they did. Now don't get me wrong. If you need to rest, you need to rest. But sometimes God throws stuff into your, into your, into your view. And all you can say is, this is inconvenient. Not now. How about tomorrow? How about later on this afternoon? But God has a way of rippling through space and time into your life and the lives of people that he's concerned about whenever that moment is just right. Whenever, they are, whenever we're on that tipping point where if we hear this timely word from this person at this time, everything that I've been working on in the lives of, of, of the people that I want to see come my way, now's the moment for that person. And I think that in, the, in this episode where he's feeding all these people, it was sort of his moment to leverage to say, the thing that you have been looking for, the thing that you have been shut out from, is right in front of you. And it was Jesus' conviction that the kingdom of God was going to come into greater clarity based on what he was able to offer them in that moment. But what... The other thing that I notice about the story is I don't think it's any different for you and I. Because Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says to them, I'm going to perform this massive miracle 
and it's going to be fantastic and I'm going to take some bread and some fish I'm going to go you know some kind of little ritual and then voila there it is smorgasbord no what did he say he said you feed them and you're like what what huh and it's just his way of saying this is the way it works the stuff that needs to get done I am using my people to accomplish it I get it done through other people that's the best way to get it done as a matter of fact if he's seated on the throne right now that is the only way that he gets it done but I think this is where we get stuck because those are apostles which are, means they're ministers Jesus is obviously a minister Fred Rogers a minister I'm not a minister but this is where it gets a little weird because somewhere along the way to the 21st century somebody told us you can only be a minister if you go to seminary and you're ordained but if we just look in the rearview mirror a little bit farther and we read the scripture we find that God is saying to each and every one of us you're a minister I've done some things in your life to call you out of darkness and seated you in a good place are you just going to hoard that or are you going to ask the question how is it God if you've done that to me that you can do that through me for other people and here's my question for you. It may be a challenge. Have you ever got up in the morning and asked the Lord to ripple something out of your life into the lives of the people around you? Because chances are he wants to. But he's not going to override you and say, I'm going to make you do this. However, He's going to put in front of you and I what Fred Rogers had put in front of his face. What Jesus had in front of his face when he saw the people without a shepherd who needed compassion. God will, if you open up your eyes, place in front of you somebody that needs something from him. And he's probably wanting you ask him to work through your life to make something cool happen now just think about that for a second what I just said because a lot of us are of the mind I've got to make it happen no you just have to show up and ask God to make something happen through you and don't worry about the outcome just be faithful and ask God to work and he will in ways that you could never anticipate sometimes I wonder if Fred, Fred Rogers was on this earth not so much for the kids that he ministered to in that moment which was obviously filling a critical need but maybe he's just a way of taking in the whole showcase of popular culture and saying even though this guy's gone, you look at his body of work, there's something there. There's something we need to pay attention to. There's somebody doing something with the right heart for the right purposes, for the right effect. You don't see that anymore. 
maybe God's saying it's just going to keep rippling out into time and space some more. You just do not know. But what would have happened had he stayed being a trust baby and just rode the gravy train? Well, speaking of trust babies and gravy trains, well, this is, this is what's going on in the background of Jesus' experience. You see, Jesus came into the world, and there was a king over the nation of Israel, like King David, who was supposed to be a man after God's own heart, but while the country's suffering and people are languishing in their connection with God and the things of God, he's enjoying being a king. And here's how he enjoys it. He has several special vacation spots dotted around the country that he's king over. And one of them looks like this. Let's just go ahead and show this, this depiction from an artist of what his base looked like. Down by the Dead Sea, where you can go down into the Dead Sea and get a detox. You can come back out and go to our palatial desert um, uh, 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 hideaway and enjoy swimming and enjoy just all kinds of carousing with your cronies, winking at beautiful girls, drinking it up, and just having a good old time being king. And then you see that little castle up on the hill? Well, when I'm gone and it'll happen, they'll just bury me up there. And everybody will know that's where he was laid to rest. That's a monument to his awesomeness. And this is what Jesus walked into. It's like walking into a house that, is, that, that, that was your house, but you gave to somebody to take care of while you're gone, and you discover that there are burnt holes in the carpet, the furniture is trashed, the utilities are, 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 are not working well, and... They're in arrears on everything that they owe the utility for. And it's just a mess. And when Jesus comes into this setting, he could have just said, we're going to start cleaning house and we're going to start there. Or he could have went to church at the temple and said, we're just going to get rid of all these people and get some new people in. Well, he did kind of have that end game in mind, truth be told. But the place where he started is the place where you and I start. And that's just at ground level. Asking the question, God, what have you put in front of me? And what am I supposed to do? And I think if you're asking that question, then you're probably doing what you need to be doing. Because God will show you what needs to be done. So here's just some takeaways as we, as we stop the message and move into our own lives and our own experiences. There are, there are some things we don't want to overlook. And the first one is just the small things. I'm guessing if we, if we did like a lot of people do, we take our electronic device, and I heard of some college students doing this right now. Just said for a month, goodbye. And the interesting thing is, they're like, whoa, we're just seeing all kinds of stuff we never saw before. Well, maybe God's saying it's about time. 
I've been overlooking a lot of things. But even if you're not, don't overlook the little things that I'm doing because God works in very subtle ways, I can assure you. It's usually not dramatic. I mean, if it was dramatic, Jesus would have just said, here's the bread, here's the fish, poof. But it was more like, yeah, you do it. We're going to do it like this. Everybody gets fed and we're not going to call much attention to the miracle. More the act of compassion. So around you and I, in the everyday, God has created conditions that he wants to move in. But we could be like Herod, just living it up, thinking we're wealthy, very well-resourced North Americans. We got time for that. But I would say, yeah, you do. Start with what you have and start with where you are. That's just how God does it. He takes the life that he's given us and he calls us to ask a question. What are the pathways that you have created in my life that carry the, the language and the meaning of the world, of the people that I relate to? How can I haul the freight of your good news into their world. And chances are, you may be the only person who can. Don't overlook that as something, well, that's something the minister needs to do. Well, just an FYI, if you've been paying attention, if you're in the Lord and you're in his family, then we're like the Amish. We just start working right out of the gate. Second thing don't overlook God's part. Because when Jesus performed the miracle, he asked God, and God blessed it, and it took off. And if you try to do stuff as a representative for God, and you're not praying first, it's probably not going to go too well. Because it's you trying to do something, when in reality, he wants to do something through you for his purpose and through his power. It's there for us. Even though we may not see it, if you're paying attention and not overlooking it, it's going on all the time, even in this room right now. Here's the last thing. Don't overlook the opportunities that God's creating in your life. In 2019, in November of this 16th day because he's making them and we don't have to be Fred Rogers we don't even have to have like a trademark song but if you do have a trademark song I'd love to hear it you know like you come rolling in I can see Brittany coming rolling into work it's a beautiful day in Brittany's world. Yeah. Don't mess it up. That's what you would say. <laughs> well, we'll work on that. Okay? But you get my drift. And the thing that I want us to remember is everything you do as the Lord is working through you, God doesn't waste it. 
He just likes to ripple it because he's the one who created the ripple. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just stop and we think about your son who embodies everything that is a pattern for us to follow, your disciples, servants even like Fred Rogers who we misunderstand until we see. I realize, Father, that in this room we may not be called to do something as over the top as that, but we might. And so if there's somebody in this room who has those capacities or you have those designs for to do the bold and the dramatic in that way yet so subtle I pray that you would call them into that space for most of us Father we want to just show up and be faithful and obedient and to be clear in our hearts and our spirits as to what you're putting in front of us and to notice. Help us to put away distraction that leads to sins of omission. Help us to hit the mark where we need to hit the mark. Help us, Father, to have our eyes tuned to the things that we see you doing and you want us to be a part of. I pray for everyone in the room that you would just reset our callings in you and help us father to begin in a fresh way to process the reality around us through your eyes trusting that it's not up to us for the outcome it's just up to us to be faithful and I pray that you would find us a church that is faithful I pray that you help us to see our blind spots help us to see where our willfulness gets in the way and give us a sense of where your needs are the greatest that we are serviceable in helping to alleviate. I just thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us your word that gives us life. Your son who embodies your presence. Your spirit that empowers us. And the redemption that adopts us and brings us into your family and it makes your neighborhood beautiful. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.